Good evening and welcome. My name is Kim Moore, and on behalf of Amy Bernal and all of those praying ahead of this call, we love you, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time. Tonight, I want to talk about biology, gender, and the law of one. I want to answer the question about what's really going on in that conversation and why unity is our greatest advantage uh, against some of the things that are happening in the earth and in particular to this conversation. Um, but if this is your first time on the call, we want to welcome you again here at Relationship Game Changers. We talk about those truths that apply to everyone. They transcend gender, race, biology, economics, political party, religious affiliation. Uh, it just applies to all of us, whether we're Christian or not. And so we like to talk about those truths that God has set in place that to govern uh, the world and to govern humanity, to govern the universe. And so, again, welcome. We thank you so much for being here. It feels like I haven't uh, taught in a little while. Last week we had Barbara Michael on, and I tell you what, she talked about standing in the gap. And before that we had Richard, and uh, Amy, I agree with you, the scriptures that uh, Richard sent out today, how apropos. Uh, in terms of a response that we can deliver even to our adversaries, praying for them that we might also be blessed by the hand of God. And so I just thank everyone, uh, Barbara, if you're listening, Richard, and again, all of those praying ahead of time. Uh, we say it, and it seems kind of trite at times, but I mean it from my heart, uh, and that is uh, you make ministry easy. We couldn't do it without you, and so thank you so very much for your time. Well, I've got a lot I want to share today, and Amy, I'm probably going to tell me at the end, Kim, that's, that's way too much, so we'll see how far we get, and if we need to make this a part two, we will, but I don't I guess I don't want to leave you hanging for a whole week. So if you do have to jump off, we would not be offended. You can pick up the replay. Um, and at the end, certainly we're going to give opportunity for comment and questions. And I have one very particular question that I want to ask you, but I don't want to ask it now because it won't make sense to you now. But when we finish the conversation or when I finish sharing what uh, what I have, uh, that converse, that question will make a lot of sense to you. So, Father, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you for choosing us to be part of what you're doing in the last day. Father, I pray that you would create in each one of us a clean heart and renew within us a right mind daily. Father, God, help us to center and, Lord, stay connected to your truth, God. And we bless you. We thank you for that. And, Lord, I ask you especially that you would help me, Lord, just to unpack this in a way that's made simple, that's clear, and that is easy to follow. And so, Lord, I just bless you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, listen, if you're taking notes, first thing I want you to do, and I'll read this list uh, slowly to you, but I want you to make uh, draw a line down the middle of your page. And all I want you to do is write a few words. They're actually going to be six words, uh, six words, maybe a couple more because some of them have one or two words with them. But you'll get the idea. <laughs> so on the left-hand side of the page, I want you to write kingdom perspective. And on the right side of the page, I want you to write world perspective. Perspective is everything. Perspective is everything.
being. So I want to begin by just setting this perspective as we talk about biology, gender, and the law of one. All right, so kingdom on the left side of your page, kingdom perspective, then under that, I want you to write the word Holy Spirit, then human spirit, then humanity, and then biology. And by humanity, I specifically mean soul. So we have a human spirit, human soul, and then biology or a physical or a human body, physically, the biology. And then I want you to write the word gender, 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 okay? So under kingdom perspective, you're going to write Holy Spirit, human spirit, human soul, human body, or biology. And then lastly, gender. Now, all I want you to do on the right-hand side of the page, I want you to write the word world perspective, world perspective. And then I want you to reverse the order. So it would be gender, human body or biology, human soul, human spirit, and the last um, line would be unholy spirit. Unholy spirit. So under world perspective, you would have gender, human body or biology, human soul, human spirit, unholy spirit. Okay? So that's the, it's important that we have that perspective because Satan does not create anything. Therefore, he must imitate what God has created. But not only imitate it, he inverts it, he distorts it, and he perverts it. So what you have on the left-hand side and the right-hand side of your page are God's perspective or kingdom perspective and Satan's perspective. Now, usually when we list something first, it takes priority, right? So the first thing, something time is something mentioned. The first time something is said, the first on the list. You notice in the Bible, when they're talking about the apostles, when Jesus is talking about the disciples, Peter is always first, which means that Peter had a unique relationship with Jesus. So what we, the first always matters. So for God, the Father and Jesus in the earth, the Holy Spirit is preeminent and the agent uh, is, is the agent God in the earth. And so in this conversation, in the world's perspective, gender is what matters. It's the all the rage. It is the thing, as if it's the only thing. So again, Satan inverts, he distorts, and he perverts. Why? Because he must get our focus off of God. So we've got to keep in mind a few things. I'm just setting this up so you have perspective so that when you hear what I'm saying, it will make sense to you. So Satan has to get our focus off of God. We've got to keep in mind that Satan wants to be God. Let's just straight out the gate. Satan wants to be God. And in order for that to happen, he's got to destroy God. We see that in him trying to destroy Jesus. Jesus is God come in the flesh. Jesus is God. Jesus Christ is God. And we see in Matthew 2.16 where Herod the king was trying to kill the firstborn. Jesus was the firstborn and the only begotten son of God. 
So he was trying to kill Jesus. And then on the cross, he succeeded uh, in killing Jesus, but we know that God raised Jesus again from the dead. So while he might have had a temporary success, he eternally lost. So Satan wants to destroy the work of God. Couldn't destroy Jesus, so now he wants to destroy the work of God, and that's you and I. He wants to destroy humanity, and how does he do it? By deceiving us. The Bible talks about in Revelations 12, 9, that he deceives the whole world, that he leads us astray. And why? Because he wants to establish our willful submission, our willful obedience, and he understands that we must choose him, else he's operating illegally in the earth. We must choose him. Why? Because the earth was given to man, to human beings, which means that if God or Satan wants to conduct business on the earth, they have to go through a human being, and that human being must choose at some level um, to participate with Satan. And, And lastly, Satan wants to dominate and control us. He wants us to suffer. He wants us to suffer. Now, God can use all of those things. He causes, you know, Satan causes sickness, disease. He causes afflictions and all kinds of things that are uncomfortable and, and, and just, frankly, unpleasant to us. And yet even God will cause those things to work together for our good, that God can establish who he is in the midst of us by healing us, by delivering us, and all the things that we know and testify of God in our own lives. Um, and, even, and as we're talking about Satan, Satan, let me just say this. We also got to keep in mind that God is sovereign over Satan. The devil does not have a free hand. He cannot just do what he wants to do in your life or my life. We see that in Job where he had to constantly get permission to up the ante with Job. So Satan is on a leash, even though it may not seem like it in the earth today. He can't do any more than God allows or human beings have given him access and control over. So now let's just talk about uh, biology and gender. Again, I'm setting this up so that you'll be clear that when we talk about biology, gender, and specifically the law of one, you'll understand what's really happening, not only in this conversation, but in many of the conversations occurring today. And if you understand what's really taking place, then you and I will be better equipped and more committed to what God is trying to do. So typically when we talk about sex, as in male or female, we talk about it from a biological construct. Even the world perspective agrees with this, that sex is male and female and it's a biological construct. When the world talks about gender, it's a social concept. And let me pause to say this really quickly. Because Satan cannot overcome, prevail against truth, and he must develop a a language or words or conversation that will lead us away from the truth. Remember, he deceives and leads us astray. And so because he cannot challenge the sufficiency of Scripture when it comes to biology and male and female, he has to come up with another word that he can rally people around so that he can lead them astray invert the word of God, destroy destroy the work of God, that is us, and lead us again away from God. So gender is a social concept, 
concept that was created by man back in the 1960s. You won't find gender as a concept in the Bible. Additionally, sex is specific. It's it's binary. It is either this or that. We are either male or female. From, from a biological standpoint and physiological standpoint, except the exception would be to, to those individuals, which is a very less than 1% of society that are born as hermaphrodites, which meaning that they may have some part male, some part female genitalia, and truly these individuals must make a decision because their biology could go either way. But again, that's less than 1% of the, com- uh, of, the, um, of the population. And yet and still, we ought to be compassionate when we find individuals that are challenged by having to make such a monumental decision that will impact the rest of their lives. But again, that is less than 1%. Gender, as you hear it, is non-binary. When I looked on scripture went up on Google and you can do this, there were over fifty gender types. Now, I'm not trying to glorify Satan, so I'm not even trying to list or tell you what they are. You can Google those. They are available to everybody. They're available to everybody. So here's the thing that um the world is doing right now. The world is The world is conflating gender and identity. What they're saying is your gender is your identity. So you'll hear things like, I can identify with this, or this is who I identify, or this is what I identify with. I identify with animals. And basically, whoever we, quote, choose to identify with, um, that's, that's in fact who we are and how we respond. And worse, we want you to believe our lies. Not only believe our lies, we want you to co-sign off on our lies and, and behave and respond to us based on a lie. So gender is associated with identity in the world. That's why we talk about identi- uh, identity politics, identifying a male born as a, uh, uh, a person born as a male, identifying as a female, vice versa. Um, and we have all of these things going on. Um, And so when we talk about identity, we're talking about who we are, who we perceive ourselves to be. So let's be clear about how identity gets formed. It is not simply by your choosing. And that's because identity is not independent of relationship. So identity flows out of relationship. It's not in spite of relationship. Identity is who you belong to and not only is it born in relationship, it's nurtured and developed through relationships. So who we belong to shapes our identity more so than what we have chosen per se for ourselves. Now, we can agree with that. There's some of us that have family that we can't agree with the way we were raised and the identity in which was nurtured in us, and we make different decisions. But nevertheless, it flowed out of who we belong to. In Matthew 3.16, God, I'm just setting this up, guys, and I know it's a lot, but you got to get it. Why? Because we have to get beyond just these knee-jerk reactions when, th- when Satan is throwing things at us. We must 
we must respond and not react, especially when what's being thrown at us is reprehensible, is insane. It is biblically contrary. And so that's why I'm taking the time to talk about biology a little bit, gender, and the law of one. Now, certainly this isn't an exhaustive study on on biology and gender. That's not the purpose of this. But you need to understand enough so that when I talk to you about the law of one and what's going on, you'll understand some of the things that are happening. So in Matthew 3.16, you'll recall Jesus was baptized in water. And when he came up out of the water, the heavens opened, and the Holy uh, Holy Spirit Holy Spirit said, or the Father, I should say the Father said, a voice from heaven. It was the Father because we know it was the Father because it says a voice from heaven said, this is my son. Well, that's the Father speaking about the son. So we know the Father was speaking in that instance. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Right after that, the Holy Spirit leads him to the wilderness where he fasts 40 days. And afterwards, Satan challenged him. And the first challenge and the first temptation that Satan confronted Jesus with was who he belonged to, not who he is. And you have to read it in Scripture. All of this is in Matthew 4. This is not a study on that. I just want to call your attention to it so that you can see what we're developing here. The Scripture is informing us. This isn't, I'll tell you when it's my opinion. This isn't my opinion. Scripture says the very first temptation that Jesus answered was one of who he belonged to. He said, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, then, 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 then turn these bread into stone. Well, we know he was the Son of God. The Father just said that in the last verse of the last chapter. So, and then, and, and you can read it after that, then Satan challenges Jesus with who he is and who and how he will live his life, who he will worship. So there's order there. There's who you belong to, who are you, and who will you worship. All of that is found in Matthew 4. Then Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees in John 8, 44, says this, you belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. You belong to the devil. You're identifying and carrying out his desires. You're, you're carrying out the devil's desires is identification with who you belong to. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, and there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So whoever is lying belongs to Satan, and wholesale belongs to Satan. I I, I don't want to, what I would say here is in the area that you're lying to yourself or lying to others, you belong to the devil. Does that mean that you categorically belong to the devil? We all have believed lies. And as a result, we have become Satan's ambassadors in that area that we have believed or received and believed a lie. And God is about freedom and delivering us. So it's not to naught, it's for us to confess or to allow God to show us what lies we believe and then to admit them and to allow him to deliver us from them. So, To understand who someone is, you have to consider who they belong to. You can't just take things at face value. And and so no one can do anything of himself. 
whether he's giving glory to God, whether he's speaking on behalf of God or the devil. No one can do anything of himself. As I've said before, we have freedom within the range of the Father that we're serving. We have freedom. I gave you the example of a, a cruise ship and that, that whoever built the cruise ship and the captain has already predetermined where I could go and where I couldn't go on that ship. But I retained the freedom to go anywhere that was made available to me to go. And if I went somewhere that was not established, as a place for me to go, then I would be in violation of that ship's policy or that captain's policy, and I would be subject to a consequence. So yes, we have free will, but we don't have unlimited free will. As I said before, Satan's on a leash. He's on God's leash. Satan cannot do anything he wants to you, me, or in this earth. He has a range that the Father has permitted for this time. The fact that we're created beings means that we are dependent. Satan is a created being. That means he is also dependent on the Father allowing or sanctioning his work. So the last thing I want to say before we jump into this, and I know this is kind of a long introduction, but it, I just felt it was important so that you could understand scripturally from where I'm coming from. And as we jump into these scriptures, you'll see that, that the word is confirming itself. So the last thing I want to say, I want to tell you, is about the law of one. And, and I, since I'm going to use a lot of scripture to show you that law, I'm, I'm only going to tell you what the law is now. And that law says that anything that is unified succeeds. And the one that has the greater, let me, period, the law of unity, so the law of one says, anything that is unified succeeds. Anything that is unified that is uh, succeeds. Now, the one that has the greater unity succeeds over the one that has a lesser unity. So there are things that Satan is doing unified with the people he's working with, and yet God has a greater unity and holds sway even over that. The law of unity says that anything that is unified, anything that is one, succeeds. Anything. So we're all succeeding it's a matter of do we want the outcome of which we succeeded at, and if we don't, then we have to change our alignment and come into a different unity with what it is that we believe God would have for us. So having said all that, now let me jump into what I really want to say. And let me pause here because I've said a lot, and, and let me just give Amy an opportunity if, if, if she desires to jump in here, if anything needs to be clarified. Because, guys, this is really, really important. This, what I'm about to tell you will up your or increase your ability to elevate the conversation so you don't get caught arguing in the weeds. One of the things that we do, and, Amy, I'll stop when you come on if you're, uh, oh, no. you're going to come on. I, no, but, I'm um, on, and... And I think that you're you've been very clear, and I think that okay. one of the clear the clearest points is that gender is made 
and biology is God made. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, no, you've been clear. Keep going. <laughs> okay. Last thing I'll say that you triggered me uh, uh, is this. What the church has consistently done to our demise is when a new social construct is presented to us, sold to us, we buy it and begin to use it and argue from that construct. But you will never overcome a spirit through a human construct. The Bible says only the spirit of life in Christ Jesus can overcome the law or the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus can overcome the law of sin and death. So only the law of one can overcome the law of one that is Satan that ends in death. So we must bring language, use the language, and develop our ability and our language to speak and not have to use the weapon or the social constructs and the language of the adversary. We have lost every single time we have done that. This is not about that. But just go look at history and look how church the church begins to use the words of the world and we get creamed. So I'm giving you some words today so that you can fight on God's terms and not the devil's terms. Remember, his goal is to get your focus off of God. His goal is to get your focus off of truth. And so if I want to change your mind about something that is binary or, in this case, the biology or or God-made biology, male and female, I have to use a different term and pull you off of what is biblically true, and that is what is taking place. So here we go. Satan's ultimate agenda, everything that I shared with you before about Satan wants to be God, Satan, you know, he deceives and leads astray, he destroys, all of that are sub-agendas. That's how he does this thing I'm going to get ready to tell you. That, those are, those, that's not as a, those are sub-agendas. But his ultimate agenda is to make one new man, neither male nor female, that he can control and demand worship him. You'll remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you'll remember that the king demanded the worship, and yet they refused, and the three were one, and they were invincible, not alone, but they were invincible because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego formed a unity that could withstand a fire that was heated seven times higher. You and I will be more successful together than we are alone. Satan is trying to create One new man. We are not fighting a biological gender war. Let me say that again. We're not fighting a biological gender war, a biology or gender war. God has already established male and female. That is not our fight. Yes, we're in a spiritual war. But let me say this. We've been saying that. But what I want to share with you today is that 
equally important in knowing that we're in a spiritual war is knowing the price because the prize will also determine how you fight. David knew the prize for winning against Goliath. Goliath had put the wager out there. If you win, your people are going to serve us. If, if I win, if Goliath wins, then the Israelites were going to serve the Philistines. But if David won and the Israelites won, then the Philistines would serve the Israelites. So the first price that was set by the adversary, <laughs> the first prize was if you win, you get us. You get to influence and control us or have influence over us. If we win, you become our servants. And in verse 25, there was additional pieces to that prize. And this is 1 Samuel 17. It says, the king will make the man who kills, that is Goliath, very rich and give him his daughter. The king will also make the family of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. How would you like to be exempt from paying taxes? I mean, we could choose that now. But, I mean, just, just think if they're a, a wholesale statement. What if you could be rich, but you had to have this fight first? See, we want the goodies and the perks and the bennies of the kingdom without fighting and contending for them. It's important that you know the prize because you've got to know what you're fighting for and who you're fighting for. So now let's look at Scripture and find out where Satan got the idea to make one new man. And please understand, when we're talking about gender, when we're talking about the destruction of the family, we are when we're talking about the destruction of our kids, when we're talking about all this gender stuff, please understand mankind is being reduced. And for those of you that dare, we're being reduced to a common denominator that will accept becoming part machine, part human, because if you're part machine, I can control you. But if you remain human, I'm not sure I can completely control you. There are a lot of things that are happening right now in effort to control humanity. So now let's look at the scripture and see where Satan got the idea. We're still talking about biology, gender, and the unification of humanity. So let's go. Let's jump. I'm going to read some scriptures. I'm going to say them to you, but I want the word to testify of itself because this is not my opinion. Church, we must learn different language. We must understand what is at stake. We must stop swatting flies. We must stop reacting to everything Satan does because we know his agenda is to make one new man that will bow down and worship him as God. John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. So in the beginning, you had the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they were three, and yet they were completely unified. They were of one accord, 
And that was before nothing. We can't even say that there was nothing before God because in order to have nothing, you had to have something. And God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the something that came before the nothing. And everything after them has been created. And in the end, so that's the beginning. In the end, Ephesians 1.10 says this, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. The Amplified says he planned for the maturity of times and the climax of the ages to unify all things and head them up and consummate them in Christ, both things in heaven and things on the earth. Ephesians 4, 6 says this. Says this, for Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in all. So that's, uh, Paul said, uses the word one in reference to our different aspects of being one. He used that in, that, in those uh, two verses or three verses. He said it one, two, three, four, five times he emphasized the word one. So in the beginning there was one. At the end of history, there is one. And in between, the Holy Spirit is making us who believe one. So now, oh, so now let's go back to Genesis. Because remember I tell you that if something is in the New Testament, we've got to see it in the Old Testament. If we see something in the Old Testament and it constitutes a truth, we have to see the truth in the New Testament, even though it may uh, appear differently, the truth of what is being said or the essence of it is the same. So if oneness, and that is the oneness between God, the Son, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that is humanity would experience that oneness with God and with each other, then there has to be statements to that effect. There has to be evidence of that in the Old Testament. So let's go back to Genesis, even before we get to marriage, you'll see the intent in scriptures, and we don't have time to read them all, but you'll remember it says that all the plants, there is a oneness to all plants. And even though the plants are different, even though the fruits are different, there is a oneness of this thing called seed. So there, there's a plant kingdom, if you will. And all of the plants are in that kingdom. So they are one kingdom, but many expressions. We have the animal kingdom. One kingdom called animals, but many expressions. Again, we have one kingdom. So you're seeing the pattern of oneness played out in his creation ever before we get to man. So we had the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before the foundation of the world establishing oneness. Now we're in creation, Genesis 1, and God is establishing this, this, this law of oneness in the plant, in the animals, and then in the soils, 
there are many different kinds of soils. In Georgia, we have red clay, so you can't plant certain things in red clay. But in other parts of this nation and the world, there are different kinds of soil. But soil represents a oneness. I could go to another place or another state and pick up something from the ground and it would uh, pick up soil and it would fit that kingdom. So there's a oneness to soil. There's some properties that all soils share, even though soils are different. The same with waters. There is a oneness to waters, but water can express itself in oceans, lakes, ponds. We have streams. We have all kinds of ways that water, which is one, expresses itself. We have stars. We have angels. All of these, we have, we have all of these things have a oneness or a sameness, and yet within that sameness, there is difference. So now we have humanity is one. They are one, and they have a sameness. In fact, there is a sameness to humanity that overrides the individuality of male and femaleness. So humanity is one, but it expresses itself in male or female. Oh, wow. This, this, is, this is, listen, all are one in kind. All of the things I just mentioned are one in kind, but they're different in purpose and expression. Fish have a different purpose than land animals, right? They are made to express the authority and power of God differently. Men and women are made, husbands and wives are made to express the authority and power of God differently. I'm going to say that again because humanity was given dominion. So that means man and woman, husband and wife, both have authority and power to take dominion, subdue the earth, and multiply and replenish it. Same, one of a kind, different expressions, and all come from God because he's the creator of all things. So now let's go to Genesis 2.24. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the law of one. Why are we talking about the law of one? Because up until now, we get in the, we get in the weeds in the conversation called biology and gender, and Satan hopes you and I stay there and live there because he understands the power and the authority that comes from one is greater and overrides anything that he might throw at us. His worst fear is that you and I will become intimate with God and each other. And I don't mean sex. What I mean in terms of intimacy, that we are so stuck on the love and truth of God and the grace of God and bringing the reign of Jesus Christ to our own lives first and then to the areas and relationships he's given us to influence. So in Genesis 2.24, it says this, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. One flesh. You see, God is speaking loudly about his purpose and intent from before the foundation of the world to from from Genesis 1, Genesis 2. He's laying out what he intends and what he desires. And if we miss what God intends and what he desires, we'll get caught up in needless debates that do not end in people coming to the truth and the knowledge of God. 
And after he created male and female, there is one nation among nations that God reserved for himself. He chose Israel, the Jewish nation. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says this, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. Now, before our our, 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 the Israelites or the, the Jewish, uh, those uh, uh, Jews who have yet to believe in the Messiah, before they get too giddy and happy, um, we've got to read Ephesians 2:13 through 16. It says, but now in Messiah, Yeshua, you were once far off, having been bought near by the blood of the Messiah, for he is our peace, the one who made the two into one and broke down the middle wall of separation. Let me pause there. Men and women, husbands and wives, you must cease from keeping up these walls of division that defy the truth that God wants to express in the earth today. He said he made the two one and broke down the middle wall of separation. Within his flesh, he made powerless the hostility between them, the law, with all of its regulations. He did this in order to create within himself, watch the words, one new man. Where did Satan get the idea to make one new man? He didn't come up with it from his own thinking. God said in Scripture, God's intention is to make in Jesus Christ one new man from two groups making peace and to reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility between them to death. The hostility between men and women and husbands and wives cannot be attributed to our Father because in Jesus Christ, he said that he brings peace, that we're reconciled. He reconciled the Jew and the Gentile, and he reconciled the black and the white. He reconciled male and female. Well, Kim, where do you get that? In Galatians 3.28, he says there's no Jew or Greek slave or free, male and female, since you all are one in Christ Jesus. What is Satan attempting to do through external means which God wanted to produce internally because our hearts were consecrated to him and devoted to him? What God wants to do internally with an external expression, Satan wants to do externally so that he can confiscate the internal devotion of people to God. Let me say that again. God intended that in Christ we would find unity. That means if we are not lifting up the name of Jesus, if things don't begin with Jesus, if our sermons don't end with Jesus, if they are not filled with Jesus, if our lives are a checkoff list, if Jesus is not the center of it, if he's not the centerpiece, if all of our conversations don't go back to Jesus, it doesn't matter how
our, our goodness or our evilness. We are to be one in Jesus Christ. And in him, there's no male or female. And so what Satan is attempting to do is use external things, these 50 genders, to desecrate humanity. Because if we're so fragmented in all those people, how will we act as one? And the sad part about it is many of the people, including Christians, that are buying into the gender insanity don't understand that they are being shredded to pieces and that one day they will look up and they will like, who am I? God, where did you go? God didn't go anywhere. We did. Romans 12, 4 and 5. Now as we have many parts in one body and all parts have not the same function, in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ and individual members one of another. Guys, it's John 17, 11. John 17 is Jesus' longest and most in-depth and revealing of what God's agenda, his ultimate agenda is. This is almost his parting prayer, like parting words uh, toward the end of his life. He says, he says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. This is Jesus speaking to the Father. So he was already somewhere where he had already uh, was in a different place, if I could say that. If not physically, definitely spiritually. He said, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. This is first person. This is not somebody recording what Jesus said. These are his words. So he said them and allow somebody to catch them. And he says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you, which means he hasn't already gone. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me. Listen, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus did not pray to protect them so that they could fulfill their individual assignment, build their individual churches and their ministries, and bring glory and fame to themselves, or just lavish in luxury, that's not what he said. I'm not saying that some of those things are not available to us, but that's not Jesus and his intent, nor the Father's intent that they share. He said, rather, protect them in my name. Why would we need protection? Because Satan is working to destroy us to, in order to make one new man. The word we must gain a, a, a grasp of, and uh, the mission we must pursue is to become one in him and with each other. John seventeen twenty one continued in his prayer. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. How will the world know that God has sent us? Because there will be such a unity among us that is formidable, undeniable, and unstoppable. John 17, 22 through 23. I have given the glory you have given me so that they may be one. Why do we need the glory of God? So that we can what? So that we can show, that we can do signs and wonders? Satan can perform miracles and do signs and wonders. Guys, get over it. That should be native to us, not a pullout. It should be native to us in our daily lives. I have given them the glory you have given me in order that they may be one as we are one. What's the purpose? That you and I are one. 
I in them and you in me, so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. The world will know us in our unity and our love for one another. Not how well we love the world, not how well our evangelism programs are. I'm not saying they're not important, but Jesus did not say the world would know us by how well we evangelize. Jesus didn't say the world would know us by how well we can orate. Jesus didn't say the world would know us by how well we can perform signs and wonders, how we can cast the devil out, how we can speak in tongues. None of that's right here. Jesus said that the world would know that you have sent me and I have loved them by their unity, by their unity by their unity. So God is making a people holy unto himself that will speak on his behalf, that will be just as interested in bringing the reign of Jesus Christ to their own lives as much as they are about telling and declaring other people about the truth of God's word and salvation and sanctification. So we know that Satan doesn't create so Satan got this big idea about making one new man from Jesus, from the Father. And then in Revelation 17, and this is this one, many of you know Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 and the five I wills. Um, just for sake of time, I'm not going to read them. Read the five I wills in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. Now there's some that think that, that, that these five I wills are just literally talking about the king of Babylon. And some people are saying that this is really Satan. My take on that is it's Satan personified. So, yeah, it's a man. Satan works for men, right? So this is Jesus says. So I'm not going to get caught up. I'm particularly interested in what the I will said. And the I wills had to do with who Satan thought he was or who the king of Babylon thought he was and what his intentions was. And what he said was that he is going to sit on the mount of the congregation. When you talk about the congregation, you're talking about worship. Talking about worship. Go back and read Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. Then Revelation. I've got just a few more scriptures. Revelation 17, 12 through 14. Satan must make us of one mind. And in Revelation 17, it talks about the woman of the beast. And it says the ten horns of the beast are ten kings who have not yet risen to power. They will be appointed to their kingdoms for one brief moment to reign with the beast. Listen to what they said. They will all agree to give him their power and authority. Together, that is, in unity, they will go to war against the lamb. But the lamb will defeat them because he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. So that gives us just a glimpse of Satan's desire to rule the world and have us as his subjects. In verse 17, in verse 17, God is allowing Satan to carry out his plan, but please don't be, don't be, don't get it twisted. If God is allowing it, there is a beginning and an end to it because God is the Alpha and the Omega and reigns eternally. 
Now, last scripture I want to read here, and I think, again, I've given you a lot of scripture because I want you to understand that we're not fighting biology and gender. Give up that fight. God has already established male and female. That's a lost leader. By that I mean <laughs> a lost leader is something that's kind of put out there, but it's really not intended to. Well, just for instance, as a book, you know, as many of you know that we're working on a book here, and um, and we, we've been talking about it as a lost leader, which means the book's not really the thing that, that, that necessarily generates a whole lot of revenue, but you put it out there to make it available to people so that there might be interest in, in reading or learning about some of the things that we're talking about further and perhaps even inviting me to come speak on some of those topics. But it's a lost leader because it's not intended or just doesn't, unless you sell millions of books, those of you who are writers, unless you sell millions of books, you're not going to get rich because you wrote a book. Ask me how I know. Okay? So I'm just saying it's a lost leader. Fighting the battle of biology and gender is a lost leader. Why? Because God already established what male and female is. When we engage Satan on the gender battle, we are allowing ourselves to be subtly, slowly, and gradually being pulled away from what really matters. And what really matters is that in this hour we close ranks, and we enter into the unity that is available to us that believe in Jesus Christ. I still have that question to ask you, but let me read this last scripture. Genesis 11, 1 through 9, you're familiar with the Tower of Babel. And it says this, the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. So this is the law of oneness playing out. They had the same language. What is Satan trying to do? Change the language from biology to gender. What is Satan trying to do? Change the language of abortion from murder to choice. He must change the language, and you and I must not fall prey to the language change. We've got to be smarter than that. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. If Satan can change the language, he can change the mind. He who controls the narrative controls the mind. It's called propaganda. So as people migrate, and I said, so let's see, verse 4, they said, come let us build, build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. Verse 5, then the Lord came down. That Lord, I believe, is... But then the Lord came down. Let me see if that's lowercase or capital. And the reason why you want to know whether it's lowercase, whether Lord, L-O-R-D, is lowercase or capital, because when you see all the Lord in all caps is speaking about God, the Father, Jehovah, Elohim. When you see the Lord in lowercase, you're, it's referring to Jesus Christ. Okay? So I'm not sure. Um, 
I'd have to go back and look at the version because I didn't mark it here. It says, then the Lord, in this version that I'm reading, it says, the Lord, which is lowercase, came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. The Lord said, which is kind of interesting, I think it might, and I, I'd have to look at other ones, but I'll just throw this out there for your consideration. It would be fitting that the Lord would come down, came down and look over the city and the tower that the humans were building because Jesus was going to come as a human being. So to see what the humans were doing kind of makes sense, just an opinion. The Lord said, if they begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language. Listen to what's happening, people so that they will not understand one another's speech. What do we have in the church now? We've got folks on the gender side and the biology side. It's a false flag. It's a false war. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it's called Babylon, for the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. The law of one says... Anything that is unified succeeds. The reason that the Tower of Babel succeeded early but did not continue to succeed because there was a greater unity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the greatest unity in heaven and earth. So when the greater unity pronounces something, it trumps what the lesser unity says. So my encouragement to us is this. First of all, God is sovereign over Satan. If Satan is doing things in the earth, and he is today, it is with the uh, permission and allowance of God, which has an expiration date. Number two, that our oneness, our unity is at stake and Often in the church, we're fighting the wrong battles. We must elevate the conversation. We must use the language God gives us and not the one that man creates for us or makes for us. That has been our continuous downfall. So, And, and I even do it on here on Relationship Games. And when I said, we talk about those truths that transcend gender. And from now on, I pray God would ping me that I don't use that word anymore because it's not in God's vocabulary. Why? Because he didn't create that word. Man made it up. And it's at variance with the word of God. So I pray God would ping me and ping you every time that word comes out of our mouth. It's an unholy word in the way that it's being used. So my question to you is, and I know we've got two minutes, and and Amy, maybe this is a lot, but I I still want to throw this question out because I think it's an important one. And if you have to, people have to jump off, great, but I would love to hear some of your answers to this question or your comments. And the question is this, what do you think most hinders our ability to be and operate in unity in the church today? What do you think hinders our ability, or what do you think most hinders our ability to be and operate in unity in the church today. Amy, handing it back to you. <laughs> well, I wow. thought I was handing that it. Was definitely, that was 
really good. I like the way you broke it down. I think it was easy to understand, but a lot of information, of course. I haven't heard anyone else really breaking it down like this and making it digestible. So I really like what you've said because I think it gives us points to talk to others, to elevate the conversation without getting into um, our opinions on, you know, transgender or gender. It really gives us an opportunity to elevate the conversation and not get into a gender conversation, which I think will actually do others a lot of good, you know, to really get to the truth Mm -hmm. and not get um, pulled into a gender conversation that can really lead in so many directions. So I really feel like you've given us a tool. I think this breaking it down into categories. And the other thing is seeing that um, the enemy has really taken what God did and flipped it, you know, like seeing the priority in the kingdom being Holy Spirit and then seeing that, (laughs) you know, that the enemy is saying what's most important is gender and which isn't even a thing Mm -hmm. um, isn't even creation so wow now can you repeat the question you have for us to to ponder yes the the question that that i would uh would like you to uh, us to consider and even if not here in your own conversations um what hinders um, what hinders us that believe Christians from being unified and operating in unity in the church? What prevents so that from about happening? The at large? Are you talking about the I'm church just talking at large? I'm talking about the church in large, and certainly we can talk about that on a local level too because it might be different things in a local church. But on a large scale, you know, you know, when I think about that, you know, obviously the, de- the, de- the denominations hinder unity because we are more beholden to our aspect or our doctrinal truth, and yet we don't always make room for other truths. So that's one thing that, that I think um, really is divisive, the denominations. And are you asking this question because you're connecting it to the fact that the Lord wants us to unify? I believe that is the number one aim of God in this hour today is that he, that we be unified in Jesus Christ. As God is in Christ and Christ is in God, so we are in them. I think that is the number one agenda because when we are unified, when we belong to him, our identities, the, the individual identities and purposes and functions and expressions that God has for us as individuals, as marriages, as families, as churches, it becomes even clearer. And then it's not a competition. You know, so for instance, one church could be all about evangelism, but then you have another church that's truly about discipleship. Well, you bring them in, let's send them over here to get disciples. Now we're working together. So we don't all have to be the same thing. topic from today as an example of the lack of unity because we are talking, getting in I the think mind- we, 
of gender and not elevating I, Absolutely. Yes. I think it's a distraction and it's leading us away from the conversation. What is the real conversation? Everyone wants to feel a sense of one, a sense of unity, a sense that I'm okay, you're okay. And Satan is too happy to oblige while the Christians are over here fighting over my doctrine, my ministry, your church. I mean, it's just it's it's just crazy. Well, let's open it so, up yeah. for questions <laughs> oh, or comments. I'm, I'm all on. I think this is Hello. So good. Hello. Hello. This is me. Um, I'm, I got a question because I'm telling you, you're really just hitting the target of what um you know what's happening to me, and I just want to ask. I I can't hear you, Mother Kennedy. Amy, can you hear me, Amy? I can hear you. I think we lost Mother Kennedy. You you know, I was going to say this. I'm not sure where she's going with that, but this, this comes to mind to me. When we understand that God's agenda is to unify his people, Wherever we are on the continuum, some have yet to receive Christ, but his goal is to bring us in and to unify us in Christ. Then when we have situations where we have young people that are identifying with whatever they want to identify with, I mean, some people are identifying with it. When we do that, then we understand what the real need is. The real need is to be one. The real need is to have peace. The real need is to have love, acceptance, and affirmation. And the church, we have not been good at accepting and affirming people. We have been much more quick to deal with the fruit of their lack of connection and affirmation. Does that make sense? It does, and I think there are several people. I don't know where Mother Kennedy was going with her question, but she did say she was dealing with this in her family. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know what aspect of it, but for those who do have family members who are struggling with what they believe to be their identity or gender identity when they're using the term, you know, I'm struggling with my gender identity or my identity, where would you, what would you say to that? You know, and and that's a great question, and really it spawns an entirely different conversation. So knowing that I understand that God wants us to be one in Jesus Christ and that there is a love and acceptance that we are all hungering for and affirmation, the first thing I would do is look for the ways or ask God the ways, in the case of a a child, ask God the ways that I have, um, that I have um, negated that particular person. And and, and we need, we could get more specific on that. But, you know, I think about homes where there's, there, where it's, it's, um, very rigid and structured and unforgiving and, and unaffectionate. We we create a void in our kids. Now, I'm not mm. saying that to judge anybody. What I'm saying is that's where we need to begin, not with the fruit, but we need to begin with the root or the tree or the contribution. I'm not saying that 
parents are responsible entirely for their grown children's reaction. I'm talking about a grown child. I'm not saying that because every child will reach the age of accountability where they have to make their own decisions. And I say it all the time. First, we love our parents, we hate them, then we forgive them. And so every child will have to go through that process. But if you ask me where to start, we often want to start with the fruit and condemn the fruit. And the reality of it is there could be no fruit unless there was a root, which means we need to start asking different questions so that we can support and serve that child in a different way. We could go, I could, I could take a deeper Bye. dive into that. And you know I could I take a deeper dive. I'm, re- I'm really just trying to restrain myself here. But go ahead. So let, me, let me give the replay number. I think this is a call that we're going to want to listen to and share. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think that, you should take a deeper dive or we, we, we should take a deeper dive and take another week to expand on this. But let me go ahead and do the replay. The replay is 605-475-4980 followed by 341-000-POUND. And tonight's call number is 263-POUND. That's 263-POUND. I, I definitely think we could expound on this because it's something that's, you know, happening right now. And we need yep. to have vocabulary. And like you said, knowing how to redirect and elevate a conversation without losing and trust, for, you know, with those that are coming to us as a safe space. Um, you know, right. I, I think and that's the- part of the problem. A lot of times when we're addressing shooting at the fruit, I I think sometimes we lose people that are searching for truth, but because they're identifying, because they're lost, I I think sometimes we just don't have the vocabulary. We haven't developed a vocabulary that goes beyond the fruit. So I I think definitely there's a part two to this. Yeah, and and there are levels to this. There are levels of response. So there's a spiritual response to this you know, which obviously is prayer and and getting into God's word. But there's also mental and emotional and physical responses to what we're seeing here. And sadly, the church is just one-dimensional. We deal with it on one level. We're just going to pray and cast it out. Really, how's that working for you? How Mm -hmm. is it working for us? It's not. It's not. And so when we think about the body of Christ, you know, I, I liken it to, you know, when I was growing up, there was a, uh, the physician came to your house with his little black bag, and in it he had his stethoscope and all his stuff that he needed. Well, we're the tool that God is using. And so to the extent that our lives aren't available to him, he's limited in how he can use us. And then if you add the layer of we're using their language, I mean, God's like, Guys, what can I do? I remember last night I was walking, or a couple nights ago, I came home and I was a wreck because I was walking the dog down the street and this little 12-year-old girl came down and she had a, she was a little bit chunky around the middle. She had one of those midriff tops on. She had three piercings in her nose. She had her phone and, you know, she, and I was like, and we walked, we walked and talked for about 30 minutes or so and I came home and was like, Annie, I feel powerless. I don't know what I could say to her. I don't even know how to minister to her. And and when I began to hear her story, her dad's in prison, I mean, it goes on. She's struggling. And Amy said, you listen to her. 
And I did. I did. I listened to her, and if I see her again, I'll go out and walk, or if she knocks on the door, I'll go out and walk. So there, this has to be addressed on a lot of levels, and unfortunately, the church has been so unidimensional for so long that we're, we're, we're just ineffective. We're ineffective because we won't go there because we haven't allowed God to take us there. And you can't take anybody any further than you've been. And that is the problem in the church. Great, uh, the, the pastor said this week, and I, what was the second thing he said? Great orators, and what was the other, uh, the second thing, Amy? Great um, orators. Um, well, he said God. defeated petitioners. He, he said that we have we have great orators and we have great um, we have great orate wait you guys got to hear this we have great orators and he said we have great orate, orators huh he said we have, oh, we great, have great orators great and, and you know, preachers but not a lot of practitioners right we have great speakers we have great people that can expound on the word of God but we have very few practitioners. Relationship game changers, we're being trained to be practitioners. We need to be practitioners. That means God has had to practice with us and on us so that we can do the same for others. That's right. Excuse me. Hello? Oh, there's Mother Kennedy. Oh, God. Yeah, I got Mother back Kennedy. on again because I've been, been getting cut off every time I was trying to ask the question. What do you do when you see the unified of course, I see that uh, things being unified, and uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, they get rid of uh, how do you uh, – what do you do then? Because if you just the one, do you still go there or you stay home or what do you do? You know, I don't know. understand I'm, that. I'm, you I'm know not sure. That. I'm not sure. What, what do you – help me to understand. Can you say it another way, Mother Kennedy? Can you ask the Okay, you said that way? anything that is unified succeed, and I see that's happening right now. Not okay. really in my home, but where I go, you know. Okay. It's not in the church, you know. And they are uh-huh. unifying uh, with each other, you know. And I see that mm-hmm. people really don't want to do it, but I, I believe they've got to do it because, you mm-hmm. know, I, I saw that, and it was more intensified today than mm-hmm. ever, you know. Is it the center where I go to? It's the center where I go. Right, yeah, and, and because... Um, right. But what do you do when it's just you and people are not uh, uh, around you? You know, like, seeing, you know, like right. I know that uh, God loves me and I have to do what I'm supposed to do. And even when I'm just quiet, it's just even worse. And the... Before it was from a distance, okay. and now they're actually coming up in my face, you know. Okay. Well, uh, well let's, let's you know, and uh, I, I don't understand I, I don't, it. I mean, I know what it is. It's, 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 it's just purity of uh, witchcraft. That's what it is. You know, I, I can see that. And I just, uh, I prayed, you know, and I've, I, you know, I've been reading the word. I've been doing the things that I, I can do. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't have a person. I do have somebody, you know, that I can call, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to pray with me. I, I, I need, a, you know, but they're not always there all the time, but I leave a message, you know what I mean. But mm-hmm. I, I yeah. and then I have to, uh, uh, I t- it, you know, like to, you know, 
I was up all night. Um, uh, I, I didn't even know it was that time. It was like mm-hmm. I ended up uh, looking at the, the uh, clock, and it was like 3.55 in the morning. That was Saturday morning, mm. right? Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, and I find myself doing that, you know, like every night, just uh, reading and, you know, uh, praying and sometimes, you know, just praising the Lord. Because it's all mm-hmm. around, you know, it's all around. Well, let's just pray for you. Yes, please so, do, because I need that this is what you were saying. I saw it. It's like uh, you would see it also if you were there, you know, like you was yeah, absolutely. I believe you. It was from a distance, but now they actually coming up into my face. You know, like that. Mm-hmm. And I said, mm-hmm. wow, what is going on? But I just thank God that he protects me. But it is really, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, uh, but I, I'd, I'd say, you know, like Paul, you know, um, mm-hmm. you well, know, let's but. Just um, pray for you. Let's yeah. For you. I, I, right. Guys, if you'll just, you know, pray as, as I pray for Mother Kennedy. Yeah. So, Father, we just thank you for your presence. Yes. Yes, Lord. Father God, I ask you in Jesus' name, you're never without a witness. Mm-hmm. And I thank you that Mother Kennedy, God, has stood and chosen and decided and is devoted to you and to being a witness for you. But, Father, you also said that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established, every word. Mm-hmm. So I'm asking you, God, to send another witness to her. Two or three witnesses, God. Lord, that together that they can form a unity, God. Father, I ask you to do this and bring peace to Mother Kennedy's heart and her soul. I release the peace of God that destroys the authority of the one causing this chaos and wreaking havoc with Mother Kennedy. I declare in Jesus' name that no weapon formed again. This woman and who God has called shall prosper in Jesus' name. I plead the blood of Jesus over her. I thank you, Father, for the grace of God to stand and having done all to stand, that she would continue to stand and that you would flank her, God, with people that know you, that love you, that trust you, and that together they might find unity in Jesus Christ. And may that be the greater unity in the situation, God. Lord, I praise you and I thank you, Lord. I declare, Father God, that you prevail. Your truth prevails in Jesus' name. And we say, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord's will is that Mother Kennedy have peace of mind. And so we declare it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Trace. Thank you so much. Yeah, because that was, I mean, I, it was targeted when you said anything that is, you know, and, and I, I see that you really, but, but I don't know, greatest seed is in me than he is in the world, but you do have to, you know, I've just been reading and what you were saying, I've been reading it, you know, even with the uh, prayer that Jesus prayed is in my Bible on a special page, I just wanted to rip it out, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. You know, with that, because, I mean, I just thank God for it, you know, really, and for my family. That, well, praise you God. Know, like, you know, like he's going to protect my family here, you know, also. And he is. He you is. Know. Well, yes, we're glad, is. and we thank, thank you for being a part of what we're doing. Right. Okay? Yes, because 
Yes. So I'm glad you God. said something, Mother Kennedy, because it's true. We're not meant to do this alone. And he yes. always provides. Right, so right. And for us, us together praying tonight is yes. a sort of unity. And yes. as Kim said, we we look forward to hearing who he does provide on the ground there with you, but we're with you here in spirit. Praise God. That's why I and, wanted just that. I know that mm-hmm. I have you there. Yes, and I thank God for that. You know, he has other people too, you know. Yes. Yes, he does. Yes, he yeah. does. Yes, and you know, I'm, you know, my daughter prays for me too, you know, and my other mm-hmm. daughter, we pray together, and my daughter here, you know, absolutely, thank you, Jesus. Yes. Praise God. Praise God. Thank God. you. He's a good teacher tonight. I was on, I, I mean, I kept getting bumped off, but I just stopped praying. I said, let me get back on, let me get back on, you know. So, Praise God. I, you know, time I would get bumped off, you know. So, mm-hmm. but God for it. Amen. Well, yes. Amen. amen. It, well, praise uh, God. Thank you, Mother Kennedy. And yes. thank you all of you who are on tonight. We really appreciate you joining. And we really truly believe that we are making a difference because that's what the Lord's doing, equipping us. So thank you for joining us tonight. And we look forward to hearing all of you next week as we ponder these questions and go for part two. So God bless you and have a good evening. Good night.